Hey everyone, welcome to the Networked Podcast. There will be three of us, Raman, Ash and Rahul. We're corporate finance professionals and startup founders that are looking to share a little bit of light on our journey through corporate as well as our journey through startups. If you want to check us out, check us out on LinkedIn or on networked.com.au. In this podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of topics, challenges that are faced by young corporate professionals, experienced corporate professionals, and everyone in between. We'll also be looking at various challenges that can impact small businesses, larger scale businesses, and giving our thoughts and opinions on a variety of different topics. These will be ranging from some a little less controversial topics, such as your salary, interviewing skills, challenges that most people tend to face in the workplace. But we also want to challenge more controversial topics, things like racism and gender equality in the workplace, along with emerging technologies such as crypto and sustainability. Awesome. So we just want to welcome uh, Julian Safarian. So this is a particularly special podcast for me. I'm a big fan of Julian's work. He's a, a big content creator, TEDx talk, and he's also a mental health advocate, which is something very close to my heart. So welcome, Julian. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So for this podcast, we really wanted to kind of tackle the issue of mental health, particularly in the context of very stressful jobs, very stressful kind of environments, but also some of the social pressures and um, societal pressures that kind of come with being high performing and particularly how that stems from like early childhood development and going all the way into like college or university, all the way into your corporate life. So it'd be really good to kind of just get a general introduction, Julian, about yourself, kind of your journey and what kind of brought you here. Yeah, yeah, happy to. And the the short version of, of my story is I've always sort of been the quintessential model student. High school is valedictorian. College, I went to UC Berkeley. I graduated one year early. I had really good internships. I went to law school first at NYU, and then I transferred to Harvard. I graduated Harvard Law School 24, had the sort of colloquial next step high-paying legal job here in the U.S. in Silicon Valley for a couple of years until the pandemic hit and things got dark and I wanted to focus on my mental health. And so on this point, I'll kind of turn the page and talk about the other side of the story, which behind all of that success, there was a lot of stress and a lot of rigor and a lot of cost. I had stomach aches when I was in high school. I was deeply, deeply anxious around other people when I was in college to the point that I didn't really socialize much with folks. Uh, Before I graduated undergrad, I started having uncontrollable gas. Gagging. Like I felt like I was going to throw up. And that was that. Uh, and this basically took over my life for the better part of you know six months at first, but it lasted the entirety of four or five years. And it ended up being anxiety induced in the end. But of course, at the time, I didn't really know this. And I was just searching for an explanation physiologically. Oh, it must be stomach acid or it must be something else. You know, fast forward again during the pandemic and I had the stomach issues resolved, but I certainly didn't have my anxiety under control. And without the tools or knowledge on how to manage it, I became depressed, eventually fleeting suicidal ideation and from my mind last year. And last July, I made the decision to step back from my job and quit to focus on mental health and explore my interests to see where uh, see where things took me. Uh, so that's the short version. <laughs> and of course, I'm happy to dive into any particular parts of it um, as, as you wish. Make sure you subscribe for the long version. <laughs> uh, I think probably just like one question to just kick it all off. So Obviously, I think I can relate. The stomach aches, I think, is something very common. Um, I know I've really struggled with that. Um, 
I've had to go to the bathroom in some very precarious times, which make it very tough when you're in the middle of an important meeting or something like that, just because you have this like stomach anxious kind of moment. But like, when did you start recognizing that that was something that was anxiety driven as opposed to something that you just needed to ignore to just get through the day? Yeah, it, it took a long time. I was very stubborn for a long time when folks told me, oh, it's probably stress related. I kind of brushed them off because I didn't feel stress. This is the weird part to me of the whole journey is, is you can't exactly, I mean, stress is one component of mental health management. It's also not anxiety. And so I think that's probably where the issue was here. But in any event, it was, uh, I had essentially had the stomach issues under control for a long time. But when I started working again and things got really busy and I was traveling a lot and it was just a, a lot was going on suddenly the stress picked back up again. And I felt like the stomach issues surfaced for the first time in like three, four years in a way they had never had before. So I'm back at the doctors again, and I'm sitting there with a GI specialist who looks at me and he's like, yeah, I mean, we could do another endoscopy for you, which I had already done once, you know, scoping me to figure out if there's anything going on. Uh, or we can try a different medication. Like, I'm not really sure. And I'm, I'm just sitting there. And I feel like I've been down this road before, right? Where I go in and I look for a physical issue. Turns out there isn't one. And I walk out of there feeling like I have no idea what's going on. At that point, I finally decided, let me just explore this whole avenue of, of mental health and just understanding if this is something that I can manage on my own. It's not just necessarily being created uh, out of nowhere, but it's being caused by you know my own behavioral tendencies and habits. Uh, but it took a lot of time and it took me going through, you know, the medical system one time already and getting scoped and, and all of the various procedures therein um, to accept and get to that point of, of assessment. So out yeah, of that's curiosity, really how did you, how were you able to, you know, really start off your, I guess, mental health journey? Um, you know, where, where, where does one start? You know, where, you know, can one reach out to if, if you're, you know, especially thinking that initially it was, you know, as a result of say, you know, your actual psychological body or psych physical body, sorry. Um, you know, where, where to from there? Yeah, I I uh, I was very lucky that I've had very, very supportive parents who pushed me, especially my mother, who pushed me very, very hard to take mental health more seriously, to go see a therapist, to like learn how to manage my stressors. And, and you know, being the stubborn kid that I am, I didn't listen for a long time, but eventually I did. And that was very helpful. Now, to your question of when does one know to start? Uh you know, for me, it, there were sort of two points where I decided maybe I'm going to explore mental health. The first time was when I had these stomach issues resurface. And then I went and explored it. The second time was when I felt like I had lost most, if not all of my fulfillment in the world. And I couldn't do anything about it. Like I felt completely powerless and helpless. And at the time, this was in the middle of the pandemic. Obviously there's isolation at the time I actually had COVID, which wasn't fun either, but that's aside the point. I had tried problem solving away the sort of misery in any way that I could and nothing was working. And so I think at a certain point, you have to start questioning if your behavior and all of the other elements that you've tried aren't working out here, maybe it's time that you explore mental health. And as scary as that may sound, in reality, I do think we need to reframe the idea of mental health to just a practice like everything else in the world, right? And unfortunately, it's not something that my generation and our generation really learned in school, and, and it's really not taught even now. But uh, it's it's very real, and you're only going to change the way that you feel if you actually take a step to put yourself outside of your comfort zone and try something different. Otherwise, nothing's going to change. And that was the calculus that I came to when I decided to take it more seriously the second time around. If nothing else, I'll try something new. And I guess a question for me is, how, so how, do, you, how do you manage your stress now? I mean, what are the, what are the kind of techniques that you, that you do to manage that stress in order to, to prevent it from affecting your mental health? Yeah. Yeah. Work in progress for sure. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, uh, but I, uh, look, it's, it's, 
it's a constant battle and it takes a lot of discipline. And look, I've been a good student my whole life, so I understand the way discipline works, but this is a different type of discipline because it's putting your mind at ease, right? And so for me, the practice involves meditation every day, journaling when I can, you know, walking outside without any screens, changing up my location, right? Cutting out social media as much as I can. Ironically, I'm a content creator, so that's very hard, <laughs> but you know, to the extent I can, right? Staying away from the news and just things that I know are not going to emotionally affect me in a way that's constructive. Um, there's no real silver bullet, right? I mean, I went through therapy, had multiple therapists. I ended up graduating from therapy, so I'm no longer seeing a therapist now simply because we, we came to the conclusion that I, you know, I'm off on, on my own, but um, it's, it's a daily battle. And there are, there are many weeks where I fall back into bad habits. You know, just last week I was close to burning out again and I had to take a step back again and be like, okay, stop doing 70,000 different projects. Like let's take a break and go play some video games or like relax or sit on the couch or whatever, take a nap. <laughs> um, yeah. So work in progress, but a lot of different tools. Yeah. Finding time for yourself is, is one of those things, right? Especially in this day and age, especially with our generation. Yeah. And being creative with it too, because I, for me, I think a lot of the struggle has been I'll have time for myself, but I'll just squander it. You know, I'll yeah. sit around or uh, I, I will, I will do more productive things like cleaning up the house or, or things that the anxiety loves to do to just retain that sense of control, but it's not restful. Uh, so, so yeah, I fully agree. Taking time for yourself, the right time for yourself is important. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Just to go back to something you said before, you said you had multiple therapists and I know this is something I've personally struggled with where like I've had to try multiple therapists or psychologists till I found the right one that kind of resonates with me, particularly because if someone comes from a different background, it's very hard um, to talk to them about some of the struggles because they just don't have that relationship with you, right? Or they struggle to relate to your kind of cultural context because being from an Asian heritage might be challenging right um I wanted to kind of just get your sense on how you kind of found the right person for you um and also just maybe some advice to some people as well um on speaking to a psychologist or a therapist particularly in households where mental health still is that stigma or still has that stigma associated with it yeah I, so I could say for my journey I I wasn't particularly picky with my therapists I uh, for for look, look okay so I used to be a little bit more closed-minded when it came to therapy in the sense that I'd walk in and I would sort of expect them to do some of the work for me, right? Like, I think that's the colloquial way we understand therapies. You walk in, they poke and prod you, and then you walk out and you're a fixed, healed human being, right? Well, no, obviously it's not the case. For me, I, I found what was very helpful was just very much approaching therapists like a coach for your mind, right? In the same way that you ask for advice for a friend or a teacher or whatever, this, that's what this person is to you. They're not going to do anything for you. Like they're not going to, like they can, they can try, right? And you can glean a lot from them. But if you go in there with the perspective that I'm just going to exist and then this person's going to exist and then things are going to change, well, things are not going to change. And it's going to be very, very hard in the end, in my opinion, to find a therapist where you're going to magically find that that makes a difference. However, if you walk in there and you say, okay, this is a tool, right? Deep breathing, headspace, like calm, these apps, those are tools. So is my therapist, me that has to use them, right? And so I, I found that using them as a thought partner for general high level things that I was thinking about, right? And in my mental health journey was the way that they were most effective. Now to your question about stigma and, and you know, the collisions of mental health with the old style and, and traditionalist just ways of thinking, I don't think there's a simple answer, right? I mean, at a certain point, the older generations or just anyone who doubts it needs to just get over it. That's, that's my, you know, my Harvard lawyer at 24 degree in your face telling you Asian parents, like you're not as smart as you think you are. 
right? Uh, there's a reason kids are suffering out there. So the first step I think is to remember you're right and they're wrong. That's a fact. And that's what I'm telling you. So therefore it's true. Facts over feelings. But more important than that, it's balancing the boundaries with the family in a way that's comfortable that, and, and that retains the relationship. Because look, if you don't have to pick the fight of talking about mental health openly with the family, then just leave it aside, right? Just, just do your, like, do your therapy, like do what you can do and leave it in that sort of sphere and bubble. And when you come to your parents or whatever, if you know it's not going to be productive or constructive, just don't do it because it's not like there's like this, not even a mental health discussion, but just in general, when there's deep seated beliefs and when you are going through something as serious and as fragile as your mindset can be in the mental health journey, the last thing you need is an unnecessary fight to try to convince somebody of something. And that sucks because a lot of the times you want these folks to be there for you. You know, I've had close friends who I really want to talk about this stuff with. And then their response to me is something along the lines of, no, no, I don't think that anxiety is real. Come on, come on. Right. And it's like, okay, well, I'm not right. It's, it's too bad. I'm not going to get that sort of energy from you that I want, but I can't decide that. So instead I'm just going to, you know, look past it focus my energy with that person on something else and then move along and, and focus on my own journey on my own to the extent I can. I know that's really good insight. And um, just kind of, sorry, a quick follow-up from there. Uh, you were talking about kind of like going to your friends and everything like that. So naturally when you started going through these struggles, do you, do you have people like either within schools or university or friends that you actually reached out to and where did you find the biggest sources of support for your particular struggles? Yeah, I, 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 I'm very lucky. Uh, my, my fiance cat has been my backbone in all of this in pushing me to get help in helping me through it in reminding me of the deeper things that I care about and the things that don't matter. My parents have always been incredibly supportive and yeah, I've had a couple of close, close friends, one from law school and one from, from high school who have both just been sort of confidants, you know, for, for perspective and helping me ground myself in moments when uh, you feel like everything is uncertain. So I'm, I'm very lucky in that way. Did you find those networks extended uh, throughout your, like throughout your high school, throughout your early university career, throughout Harvard? You find that there was any um, sort of opportunities for you to, to kind of express yourself in any sort of closed forum or anything like that in, throughout your journey? Yeah, I, you know, looking back if uh, if i went and sought it out i think i could probably find something i don't think it was popular or cool or very yeah. much open i think it was still in the shadows arguably even today i would say it's still to some extent in the shadows to be very blunt right so yeah. i think it was probably there certainly at harvard it was probably there but you'd have to really know and go seek it out and even then i gotta be honest i don't really know how helpful it would have been because yeah. i don't quite think that institutions are doing a great job creating this sort of conversational space. Yeah, that's, that was where my question was kind of directed. Is, do the institutions really create that space for you to be able to, to feel open to, to kind of have those discussions and, and make it a bit more of a safer space, I guess, um, when it is yeah. such a sensitive topic? Right. No, I don't. I think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done on that front. I think to the extent it exists now, it's probably through student organizations or clubs, which is fine and it's a step in the right direction, but it's certainly not the level of support that we need. And, Ad, and what do you think needs to be done by organizations in that case? That's probably a very big question that <laughs> is to be answered but you know what 
what's one of the first steps at least? I, yeah, look, I think like triage is is my first. Like, I think right now we're we're in triage mode, and so it would be get everybody access to one of these apps just off the bat and encourage people to use it. That's it. You know, like literally give people a gift card, hundred dollars a month for whoever uses it the most. Like I don't even care what it is, but incentivize people using these apps that will help them cater to their emotional development and health. Of course, beyond that, you could increase funding for mental health services, right? And get therapists that are on deck, right? You can start the harder battle in my opinion, which is the cultural change that needs to occur in the institutions, which is stop making mental health this sort of sideline thing, right? Stop stigmatizing it. Like talk about it openly and neutrally, not with some sort of weird pity party, <laughs> like- I don't know, tone of voice, right? And again, that's harder because that's asking people to change parts of their personalities to some extent. We talked about that earlier. So, um, but but yeah, I mean, I think resources are, the, are a great place to start. Yeah, no, definitely. I And actually jumping back a little bit. Um, so you, you have mentioned um, journaling. So I've, I've actually read a lot into journaling and, and different types and do a little bit of journaling myself. Um, I must say I have stopped more recently, but out of curiosity, what what type of journaling do you do? And, and you know, do you have a particular guide for you know, even in particular stressful situations, do you, are you able to extract yourself for, let's say a minute or two and and be able to just give that time to yourself? Yeah, I, I used, I used to do some sort of gratitude based journaling prompts, which I found were helpful. Honestly, for me, it's more useful to just ground myself. And at first it was figure out what am I feeling? Like uh, the anxiety had put me out of touch for so long. I was like, what's this one do? <laughs> so I was like, let me write down everything going on in my head until I can identify like, oh, this is sadness. Great. Awesome. Let's move on now. Uh, now it's mostly used for me if I'm just really feeling emotional in a certain way. And I just walk myself through what it is I'm feeling, why I'm feeling that way. And I unpack it usually ends up, you know, in some ways I end up talking myself through the rational side of thinking and, and move forward past it. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I think there's, so many different types of journaling out there that all of them I think are very, very beneficial. I think I'm just a little bit lazier. <laughs> so I'll just kind of free form it when I feel like it. And you mentioned uh, meditation as well. Um, and some of the apps like Headspace, Balance, Calm. Um, is there a particular, uh, so like there's the habitual part of meditation where like you could wake up in the morning or before you go to sleep, which is something I've typically done. But in like stress induced periods of time, have you ever found meditation as a way to kind of level yourself? Or is it something you more do as part of a ritual or a routine to kind of get you ready for the day? Yeah, I think it's a mix of both. Uh, I do use it to catch myself when I find that I'm overstimulated or just mind is running too quickly. And that's one of my first layers of defense, honestly, to just like calm down my mental. But I have been increasingly using it proactively. Just once a day, do a five minute sitting meditation, train my attention span, you know, under, not under, but, but try to give my brain a little bit more balance for the overstimulation that I think we give it all too often. Um, yeah, a mix of both. I might jump in with another question there. So you mentioned that, you know, you were really lucky with, um, you know, your support group as well. Um, I guess maybe thinking about the other side, um, you know, coming as a friend who, you know, how can I be there for my friends or how can I be there for my colleagues or, you know, for even people who we might have come across and, and you know, just had a minor conversation with them. What can we do? Yeah, it's it's really tough. Uh, the, the most helpful that I have seen by way of support is, is first of all, just be a, as supportive as a friend as you can be, right? Whether that's helping them with, you know, some 
extra chores they need to be done or cooking them a meal or just, just being a kind friend and a supportive person is always helpful. But beyond that, I think it's also being a good role model by way of mental and showing them all of the various fruits of your labor, so to speak, that can come from taking mental health seriously and, and living this life that is more balanced. Uh, but beyond that, it's tough because you're you're going to try to convince somebody essentially for these about these issues. And you can, to some extent, try uh, and you can send them resources and readings and whatnot, but you risk driving them away to some extent if they just don't want to hear it. And right now, I think with the mood that most people are in, it, being being supported is probably the most important and impactful thing you can do. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Now, kind of coming back to obviously the leaving big law and all of that sort of stuff. Did you obviously did you have some sort of like FOMO or kind of like this like barrier that stopped you from resigning that you really had to work through? Or is it something that given your current mental or that's mental capacity or mental state that you were able to kind of let go fairly easily? Yeah, I there there it was a six month process for me to really, you know, fleet around with the idea of maybe I'll quit and do something else to apply to some jobs in house and see where those go do a couple of interviews get rejected to then decide, okay, maybe quitting is the only thing that really makes sense here. And it was not by any stretch of the imagination an easy decision. I mean, I felt like, first of all, I worked this whole time to get here. So what? what? <laughs> like, I'm, you know, this whole, what was it all for, right? There's that perspective. There's also the perspective of like, what am I going to do next? And like, what are other people going to think, right? Of course. But for me, at a certain point, I didn't really care because I looked around at my options, which were stay in this boring job that's not good for my mental health, go to another job that is arguably just as boring and maybe not that good for mental either. Actually, I couldn't because I couldn't even get one because the pandemic had made the market so competitive for big law attorneys leaving everywhere uh, or quit and if nothing else, explore and focus on my mental, which I found I had found at the time was incredibly you know, beneficial for my development and just life period. Um, so it was an easier decision at the end of the day, but it took a lot of time to come to it. Yeah. It's leaving your career. It's not exactly the, <laughs> the decision you make overnight. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> also, I'm sorry, just a quick follow up on that one. Right. So obviously I, the challenge for you is quite tough, but then obviously you mentioned your fiance and your parents and everything like that. Could you share a little bit of what the impact was on them in terms of like, because burden is probably too harsh of a word but there's a level of kind of care or responsibility they take on for you as well could you explain what the like did that have an impact on your relationship with them or is that something that they were quite comfortable kind of taking on and is there really a time limit to how long they can really take that responsibility on for you yeah and to clarify do you mean the responsibility of like supporting someone going through the mental health journey correct yes yeah so ironically i think that it was worse for them when I wasn't taking it seriously or when I wasn't focused on it and I was just struggling and suffering mainly because I think it just was very hard for them to watch you know I, I they, they couldn't do anything right so it was it was supporting me how they could but at the same time kind of knowing to some extent that there's maybe some unexplored avenues of of development here that we could we could explore so uh when I started taking it more seriously yeah there was you know some initial like it's uncertain what's gonna happen next so I think everyone including me was like oh, I don't know what's gonna happen but what they found very quick quickly was that when I would come to the table uh I would be more of me you know and just less stressed out and less 
in my own head and, and stuck in, you know, irrational thought patterns. And so in, in many ways, I think their jobs got easier when I started taking mental more seriously. Um, I'd also say I got better at boundary setting too. And so when I wasn't really feeling a certain way, like I wanted to see certain people, then I would set the boundary and, and just not interact with them, uh, which also of course costed them less because if I failed a boundary set effectively, then things usually don't end up very pretty for, for both parties. Cause I'm not really in a good mood after that, but. It probably helps that they were very um, supportive and open about mental health as well um, and pushing you more towards that path as well. So yes. they obviously identified it as a problem or something that you needed to work on, something that you needed to consider at least. So that yes. that definitely helps, right? I mean, I think when, when parents and everyone else or, the, or your support network is a little bit more resistive or just um, not understanding of, of mental health, it does become just that little factor more challenging to, to kind of get through a lot of this, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And... I can only imagine if you have to battle the lack of support combined with the actual stigma or just invalidation of the entire experience, right? That's, it's a lot. Yeah, I guess the question for me is um, what, like, is there any particular like age group demographic, probably not demographic, more age group that you think that mental health kind of is pushed under the carpet when it should really be something that's highlighted or addressed um, or at least awareness is brought brought to the forefront yeah i so in my in my advocacy journey what i didn't expect which is what i found is that it's everybody and it's everywhere honestly uh yeah. I, I i think that it's just we, we are we, we've stigmatized it so much yeah, humankind right that i think we're yeah. way far on on the under disclosure side of mental health who do i think is being afflicted by these conditions the most right now kids 15 to 22 if i had to give you an age group the pandemic i think has put everybody into this virtual wired existence that is not actually real life and yeah. the companies that are in charge of these platforms don't care <laughs> about the yeah. effects that these things have in the long term on people and kids of course when you're younger and they're more impressionable and I can't even imagine right like I'm an older younger millennial and so I had Facebook come out you know whatever early high school but these kids have been on Instagram since they were like 11 years old so it's like we we and and, and the isolation of the pandemic has taken its toll so so I think if there's any group that we need to really look out for it's them but I do think that everybody is suffering with this and, and we need more conversations about it everywhere yeah I think um, I was talking to my mom uh, yesterday night actually she's a doctor and uh she was uh she was telling me she was like oh like um we we're actually talking about mental health among, amongst the youth and she was saying yeah it's it's horrible at the moment especially um she's talking more about the australian market but it's she's saying it was it's horrible here like, apparently the mental health um like one in one in three or four children are experiencing mental health issues and um the infrastructure and the systems aren't there in the, at the school level for them to be able to provide that support i mean school counselors are burning out and uh, you, you know, the apps can only take you so far. Now you're going down to the level of uh, giving the parents awareness and giving the teachers awareness so they can help identify mental health issues and um, at least address them earlier as opposed to letting them um, sit and, you know, grow into bigger problems or cause bigger problems later down the track. Um, right. Yeah. So that was just, I just wanted to uh, get your kind of thoughts on it just to see if it was, uh, if it was something that kind of resonated with what she was saying as well, but you are definitely correct. It does impact everyone. It is one of those things where I think, um, it's it just comes across in in different ways uh, depending on on the age or, or who you are or how you've been brought up or, or whatever it is. Um, I think that's yeah, it's definitely important. Um, I guess I wanted to circle back to when you have mentioned boundaries. Um, I think especially um, with the pandemic and and working remotely, I've found that both um, in my professional and my personal life, 
um, that's definitely been uh, a, a lot, like pretty much reduced, if anything. Um, and, you know, I think I've always been a yes person, to be honest. So I've, and, and slightly FOMO. So <laughs> I've always been like, yes, I must do this. And yes, I must do that. And, you know, I, I, I love being busy. Um, that's my kind of go-to. Um, I, I guess, you know, I, I'd love to hear some of your um, ways to, you know, maybe some of you could share some of how you put up um, some boundaries that are effective without, I guess, um, you know, sort of hurting other people's feelings as well. That's what I found almost difficult. And, and maybe that's something I need to definitely work on. But, you know, I've, I've found that very hard to say no, or, or even just to, you know, not put down my phone for a second to be able to have that time for myself. Yeah, I, I, I very much relate to that. I think that's been one of the toughest parts for me is building up that, that no muscle and, and stopping that side of me that wants to just people please and give in to just, you know, like you said, make the, it's almost like you want to control the other, the other person's emotional state in a way that is certain for you. Right. Because like you said, if you say no, maybe they're going to take it a certain way and our anxious brain can't handle that uncertainty. So what do we do? Well, we do what we can control, which is give them what they want that we know that will make them happy. Um, I mean, it took a lot of repetition, a lot of missteps, but really for me, I just reminded myself what happens when you don't set the boundary that you know you probably should. And it's bad every single time. It's never positive. It's always non-ideal, right? I'll put it that way. Like either I'm in a bad mood or I'm not, you know, my mental will decline or I'll say something and then it blows up into a fight. Like whatever it is, it's it's not gonna be positive. And ultimately I do think something we need to collectively understand about boundary setting, which a lot of people don't, is it's not something that should be taken personally. And that's as simple as that. Uh, the way that I really conceptualize boundaries is you are making an offer to the other party. This is what I'm willing to do if this is the scenario you're offering me. That's it. If you, if, if here are the conditions, if you accept, you accept, if you don't, you don't very legal, <laughs> but also <laughs> like very much how boundaries should work because it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with you. And it, you know, when you frame it in a way that it's about you, then there's not really anything the other person in, in reasonable, I don't know, ha, ha, really has room, room to say. Uh, and if they want to take it personally at that point, then they can, but that's not really our responsibility either. And I think that's a very interesting point when you're saying, you know, in the end, it's, it's also not your responsibility. You're responsible for your, I guess, your own happiness, right. And, and how you feel in the end right which I think for me personally that was something I found very difficult especially through my high school and my university um time to actually figure out and it was only in the last couple of years that I was like oh yeah in the end it's it's you know I should be just more so I need to challenge myself I can't be continually comparing myself to everyone else because you you will never be happy right you will never end up reaching the goal that you you want to do so um, yeah, that, that's definitely something that um, I've really taken on board and especially in the last few years. So more like a generalized thing, I'm, I'm not too sure if you've seen this, I guess because you have such quite like a large following and obviously you're quite connected with them. In Australia, we have a massive skew towards men committing suicide, particularly between that 18 to 24 age group versus mm -hmm. females. I think it's, eight, I just looked it up, it's 18.6 per 100,000 for men and 5.8 per 100,000 for women. Is that something that you see around the world or based on the people you speak to that men tend to be or have more suicidal ideation? Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I think I would need to look at the data to give you a hard number. I, it, from memory, the US is similar and it doesn't really surprise me. I, I do think that it reflects to some extent uh, there, there's some elements of call it toxic masculinity, right? I think people call it that, but like, honestly, call it whatever you want. Like, I think... <laughs> 
the idea that we need to work through is our willingness to work through these uncomfortable feelings and improve on them and take our mental seriously, right? Uh, but also men can be more impulsive at times. I think in certain places in the world, like the US, you have things like firearms that make it a little bit easier sometimes than others, right? Simply to, to, to undergo the act. Um, but but I, at the same time, I don't necessarily, I, I, who knows which gender, ethnic group, et cetera, et cetera, is facing suicidal ideation at a rate that's higher or lower. I have no way of knowing, to be totally honest. Intuition would tell me that it's probably pretty similar, if not higher amongst women, simply because of sexism and institutionalized barriers. But I have no idea. <laughs> I wish we had the data. It would be helpful. Yeah, no, fair enough. I, I think the like just off the back of that, like obviously you mentioned you're quite open about that with yourself and having the suicidal ideation. And like, how did you really get that part under control? What was the, did you have a different approach when it got that severe or was it still fairly similar? And is it something that even after you have control will still pop into your mind? Yeah, I, I, uh, it, it was odd for me because it happened a couple of months into my mental health journey. Uh, so I'd already kind of hit my, what I thought was my lowest point and I was, things were getting better. And that was when the ideation hit me out of nowhere, which was very jarring because of course, that's not what I would expect. Right. Um, since then it's been very, very fleeting, not very common, but I think what it reflects is basically a sign that I need to take mental more seriously. Right. And, and that's very much how I interpreted it. The first time it happened is that's how serious this has gotten now. Right. That's how mismanaged. I've let this thing go. Uh, whether you can eliminate it entirely, I think is different for every person. I, I, you know, I have friends who struggle with severe depression and they just, no matter what they do, they get hit with these thoughts every single day, all the time. Right. Um, and, and for them, it's not as simple as saying, just manage it. But for someone in my position who went from not having it to having it pop in, I think it reflects how low things have, have, have gone and how much seriously, more seriously you need to take mental. Now to your question about what did, what did I do specifically? I mean, it was more of the same stuff that I mentioned earlier, right? It was the same sort of journaling, meditation, therapy, just grinding mental as much as I could. Um, but I, did, I didn't necessarily change my paths or, or, or anything at the time because I was already on it and I was doing everything that I could. Awesome. Thank you. You have any more questions or are we um we all good for the time being um Alina, do you have any more questions you look like you're I, I have so many more questions yeah, <laughs> but i don't think time will allow to be honest um, I, I guess i guess maybe one more question from me um so i i guess the way i was raised i um and and this is maybe sharing a bit bit much but you know the way i was raised i, I guess um i was always pushed to continue to achieve more that was always my goal to um you know yes to do the best i could but also i, I was compared a lot uh, younger as well and i think that's where a lot of my um i guess initial um thinking came across and, and really has carried through a lot of my adulthood as well i think if anything um you know i was always you know had a feeling that i wasn't good enough right and that's kind of was my push to to really continue to take the next step continue to try out the new next thing right and continue to really try and keep up with everyone else um i, I think for me if i could really tell myself back when i was younger what would i do differently that's probably the biggest thing um is is really not to um use that as i guess your motivator right your motivator should be really what you are passionate about right so my question for you is what would you give yourself your younger self in terms of you know three tips back in the day what would you tell yourself now 
Yeah, uh, I, it, it's it's a great question. And listen, I, I fully agree with you. The the sort of grind at the top mentality is really hard to break out of if it's even possible to break out of it, frankly, right? Like I just, and, and when I think about what I would tell my younger self, I already know off the bat that I can't tell them to not chase that because my younger self wouldn't listen. Um, so instead, what I would tell them, you mentioned three tips, I would say, uh, learn about anxiety, learn how to manage your stress and practice deep breathing every single day. Because if I had learned the tools of mental earlier, I think it's not it's not mutually exclusive managing mental and you know ideating and, and achieving these great sets of success. But too often, I think we swing too far on one side and don't take care of our our mental on the other. So I would just caution myself and tell myself to educate myself as much as I could and to put those things to to work very early to prevent uh, you know what happened to me in my twenties. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's I, if only we could go back in time, right? But everything's always better with hindsight. <laughs> Always yeah. regrets, isn't it? It's always regrets in the past. Uh, but I think relatively, like the great part is you found kind of that action point quite early in your life, right? I think earlier generations have literally gone through almost their entire life with almost bottling up these feelings and pretending yeah. like they don't exist. And I think that's where like, it's really brave of you to kind of come out and explore, like, exp- explore those feelings, tell everyone about those feelings such that like, it is a quite a vulnerable topic to talk about kind of those areas. And I think it makes it easier for other people to come up and speak about it as well, because you're almost normalizing it. So a big thank you from like, from all of us for kind of what you're yeah, doing definitely. and like low-key man crush so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh it's very he, funny he's probably set up he's probably set up a few more tiktok accounts just to be able to follow you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like 9000 9001 9002 uh, you only have 1000 other followers to be honest <laughs> uh, it's very much appreciated it's the energy i needed on this monday and, and look you're very welcome because i i agree uh i agree with what you said and i think people are suffering by our own hand because of this right and it's it's a global problem it's a humanity problem um, and the pandemic has only made things much much worse so yeah awesome um and we hope to have you back again um we yeah, definitely could honestly just do a series of just asking you questions but it would be- <laughs> um, do you have any questions for us yeah that's yeah no no listen i no i i, I thank you guys for your time I, this was wonderful um i you know if if your listeners at all ever want someone to talk to or a community that is very open about mental and and wants just some support uh, that's very much what I've been keen on building in in my own content creation universe. Uh, and so I'm happy to give you guys the link to my beacons. And, you know, I, I would encourage all of your listeners to drop in our Discord sometime and say hi. Uh, you know, join us on Twitch. We have mental health and game nights. Uh, we're, we're a bunch of friends having fun and helping each other, you know, learn and vent and rant about stuff. So it'd be good to have anyone. Yeah, definitely. Um, send us the link and we'll we'll happily uh, share that now across we'll with uh, our various communities. Awesome. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks a lot, Thank Julian. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Appreciate your time. Thank yeah, you guys. Great meeting all of you. See ya. Take yeah, care. Thanks.